Hi, I'm Isok Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ring of Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Thursday, January 5th. I am under the weather like much of the city of L.A. I think I caught Craig's cold via Zoom. Uh... It's getting pretty tough out there for Hollywood screenwriters. The number of original films made by the traditional studios, that's non-IP driven, non-sequels or reboots, continues to drop significantly. Streamers like Apple and Netflix have picked up some of the slack, but in television, which has carried the business for the past decade, the number of US adult scripted series ordered fell by about 25% in the second half of 2022 compared with the previous year. That's according to research from the firm Ampere Analysis. Compared with 2019, it's a 40% drop. To add to that anxiety, the financial deals for many of these writers haven't really caught up to how professional content is monetized these days. Gone are the days of 22-episode seasons. Now it's like 8 or 10 episodes. Yet writers are still paid mostly by the episode. I hear it over and over. More work, less pay. The Writers Guild is now threatening to strike in the spring, and I think they're really serious about it. Today's guest knows a lot about writers because he helps anoint the next generation of successful ones. Franklin Leonard was a development executive at Universal Pictures, and he worked for the companies of Will Smith, Leo DiCaprio, and some others. And in 2005, he founded The Blacklist, the annual survey of 300 executives that asked them one question. What unproduced screenplays have you liked this year? About 50 Blacklist scripts have gone on to become Oscar winners. Movies like Argo, King's Speech, Slumdog Millionaire, Spotlight, those won Best Picture. While Juno, Jojo Rabbit, Promising Young Woman, and others have either won the original or adapted screenplay Oscar. It's a really successful engine for finding new voices in Hollywood. And this year's list was released last month. There's a Britney Spears script called It's Britney, Bitch. There's a, I'm going to read that one. There's a John Madden biopic, a movie about an action star who gets hit in the head and thinks he's a real action star. And the top vote-getter is a project called Pure, written by a writer named Catherine Shetina. I'm going to get that wrong. And the logline is, obsessed with food purity, Hannah's trip to her sister's destination wedding descends into madness when she contracts a mysterious foodborne illness that threatens to destroy her from within. Uh, sounds great, right? But it also sounds like the kind of movie that studios probably wouldn't make these days. Or will they? I'm going to talk to Franklin about that, about the market for original screenwriting, the big challenges, and maybe some opportunities. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Franklin Leonard. I've known Franklin for years, and it's great to finally have him on the show. Welcome. Glad to finally be here. Uh, Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, All right, first off, how often do people slip you their script? 
Um, more often than I can actually read. Uh, do you sure. read? Um, I don't know if you want to say that on the show, but do you read when people send you stuff? Look, I think people just kind of have to trust me on this, but the answer is yes. Because Craig's got a winner for you. Craig's got a great I, one. If it's about soccer, I'm definitely interested. Um, right. I look, I, I I read the things that that sound interesting to me and that come from people whose taste I trust. Uh, I think, which is largely true of everybody in this business, um, in terms of like how they source anything that comes across their desk. But yeah, I think people probably send me more stuff. Uh, then I can reasonably consume and, and certainly more stuff that even if I liked it, that I could reasonably support because um, I get a lot of stuff. Yeah. So explain what it is you do and how you act as a kind of connector here, because I think you play a pretty interesting role in the business, not just with the blacklist, which we'll talk about and especially this year's list, but kind of how you position yourself in the ecosystem. I'll be honest and admit that I don't often think about that on a sort of macro basis. I kind of just do what I do and what seems right, uh, given what's in front of me. Um, but I think that the blacklist plays a role of, you know, I say our North Star is identifying and celebrating great writing and the people that do it. Um, you know, we're trying to build tools that allow people with great writing to, to sort of raise their hand and say, hey, I have great writing uh, and give people that are looking for that for any number of reasons, uh, the ability to find it as efficiently and easily as possible. So, you know, that means building a website and an ecosystem online that allows people to give feedback on their scripts uh, in four days uh, on average and, and with the ability to sort of litigate if they believe that the reader didn't read their script in full or closely. Uh, it means, you know, creating a website where all of those scripts are cataloged online, where any industry professional can, can search for exactly what they're looking for. Uh, so like a studio head would come out of a meeting where they said, you know, we should be doing a soccer movie. Yeah. And they could go on the blacklist database and look at some of the great scripts that may be set in this arena. Yeah, I mean, even more granular than that, if they came out of a meeting with an actress who said, I want to shoot a movie, an action movie in China, right. uh, you know, that has the theme of loss and has a dog, uh, you can do that <laughs> search on the Blacklist website and find it if it exists. If you're specifically looking for a soccer movie, and I'm going to take this opportunity to sort of tell your entire audience this, give me a call directly because uh, <laughs> I have a lot of ideas uh, in, in that uh, direction. And you um, produce, and you do produce. We do produce. I mean, look, we're incredibly uh, selective about the things that we get involved in. And typically the things we do get involved in are the things that, you know, we think are exceptional and are probably a little crazy from a, a purely commercial standpoint. But we also have a, a deep belief in that the best business plan is a good screenplay. Um, and I think the industry as a whole undervalues that uh, as a blueprint, even though there's a lot of data that suggests that, you know, it's the best signal amidst all of the noise. It's not actors, it's not directors. It's it's, it's what's the story. And unlike everybody else's work, which is sort of you're hoping that the work they do is going to be good with the script, you, you have the thing, you know what it is and can build atop that uh, rather than the far more speculative thing uh, where a lot of other decisions are made. So let's talk a little bit about the ecosystem these days, because there's some pretty depressing numbers out there. I mean, I don't have to tell you the state of the original studio movie that isn't pre-branded um it's pretty bleak and the streamers are making up for that a little bit um tv these numbers that have come out about the the last half of 2022 tv is down a quarter down 40 percent from 2019 um are we heading into a screenwriting recession 
Um, I think if we think about it in purely economic terms, it certainly looks like it. Um, you know, I, I, I am, I've never been sort of a believer that the quality of writing or the quality of storytelling has gone down. I think that the, the packaging that it comes in, whether it's sort of adapted IP or, or sequels, may change uh, in responding to market forces. But, you know, writers are going to continue to write great stories uh, exceptionally well told. I think the question is, um, are they being fairly compensated for it? And I think all signs point to a lot of downward pressure on the compensation that goes to writers, which in my opinion, and I think, again, a lot of the data supports this, is a colossally bad business strategy. Um, I think that any studio, but the industry as a whole, would do well financially to invest more in compensating writers individually for the work that they do and, and what they do as a community uh, to power the entire scripted business. Um, no one can do anything until writers do their jobs. And um, making sure that their compensation reflects their contribution strikes me as a good business plan. Worth striking over? I, I don't mean to put you on the spot there. I, no, I happen to think, I think there will be a strike. Here's what I would say. And I, I, I think, again, going back to this fundamental idea that I, it's, it's my contention that writers are the most undervalued parts of creating content. And I don't like that word, but let's use it um, in this business. And I think it's inarguable that they deserve a better deal in, mac in a macro sense and a micro sense than the one that they currently have with the financiers of their work. Um, and again, there's a lot of data to support this. I'll, I'll do one that's kind of self-serving. A Harvard Business School did a study several years ago and found that movies made from scripts on the annual blacklist, controlling for all other factors, experience of the writer, whether the writer was represented, the studio that released it, those movies make 90% more in revenue than movies made from non-blacklist scripts. Good writing has a lot of monetary value. And I think that we're sort of fundamentally undervaluing that part of the process and therefore you know, have a largely perverted business model or suboptimal business model um, that could be remedied by compensating writers more. I would also say the industry as a whole has to look at it slightly differently, which is the downward pressure that's coming on writers right now is disproportionately affecting early career and mid-career writers. Totally agree. The ones who, with enough time, become all of the names that we know and admire and become household names, you know, nationally and globally with that downward pressure means that fewer people are going to be able to sustain careers that will allow them to become great writers professionally. And it will also limit the kind of people who can afford to survive a career that allows them to get there and whether or not people will even pursue the career in the first place. So that downward pressure on early and mid-career writers represents the real possibility of an additional brain drain of talent away from writing for film and television and towards other things and the business suffers dramatically as a consequence. So I defer to the guild uh, on what's worth striking over, but I will say absolutely that writers not being better compensated for the extraordinary contributions they make is a bad business model for any individual company, but for the industry as a whole. Yeah, I hear that all the time, that the pathways to getting that first producing credit or get you know getting the experience of writing on a 22 episode show where by the third fourth fifth season you are now a trained writer producer you just don't get that same level of experience when you are working in a you know a, a mini room and coming up with stories that are then you know pursued by the experienced writers 
that then take it and do the 10 episode Disney Plus series and your services are no longer needed. That's exactly right. And and who and who are the people that can then sustain who survive long enough to eventually become the seasoned writer? It's not folks, you know, who it's it's not folks who are going to struggle to afford rent in Los Angeles. It's not folks who have massive student loans. It's not folks whose parents can afford to help support them. Um, and I think that again, we all lose when it's such a narrow sliver of society that has even the opportunity to to show the merits of their talent. So Scott Stuber, the head of film at Netflix, someone you and I both know, um, he did an interview with Bloomberg last month, our pal Lucas, and he was talking about the market out there and what kind of movies they're interested in making. And he said this about comedies. He said, the cumulative challenge in the business is comedy. There haven't been that many pitches or scripts in the market. People want to laugh. I, I couldn't believe that when I heard it. Basically, the head of the most prolific film producer in Hollywood saying that he can't find comedy scripts. Yeah, I, I struggle to believe that that's an accurate assessment of the supply uh, of comedy pitches and or films. Yeah, we're not seeing comedies made. I mean, I mean, we know why they're not going to theaters because that genre has sort of been deemed not theatrical without effects or horror or whatever. But to not make them for Netflix seems odd. Well, I think that one of the challenges that he's responding to, and I think it may be redounding back to the writing community as well, is that in a world where there's greater focus on the global release of a film, right? Yeah. There's an argument to be made that comedy is one of the most sort of culturally specific forms of storytelling. And so it's hard to make a comedy that will be equally successful in the US and South Korea and Italy and, and Kenya uh, because comedy is different there. Um, and, you know, without a moral value judgment, it's just there's just different cultural norms around what's funny. And so I think that in a world where everybody's trying to find the next thing that can be global uh, and, and maybe not dialogue specific as much, you're seeing a lot more focus on action, um, you know, these big sort of emotional th- horror, these big sort of emotional things that that are likely less culturally specific on a global basis. But I, I'm highly skeptical of the claim that there are no great comedy scripts and or pitches out there um i like there are a lot of funny people running around los angeles and i think if scott stuber said hey let's take a succession of meetings with the the hundred funniest people uh in the world he would have at least 100 good comedy pitches right some of which you could invest in this episode is brought to you by ascension a better you starts with better hydration Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
All right, so let's get to this year's blacklist. Um, I was reading over some of the log lines. I mentioned the the winner in the intro here. Um, what excited you about this year's list? For me, it always comes down to theme. And I think one of the things that I love about the annual list every year is that you you sort of see what the preoccupations of like writers and Hollywood are. And, and they sort of mirror, I think, a lot of the central questions that are uh, you know, pressing on all of us, whether we work in Hollywood or not. Um, you know, we just lived through a global pandemic where time, I mean, I don't know how many times people have made the joke and I've made the joke, but like, what is time in 2022, 2023? And you're seeing a lot of stuff around like mind bending time travel and the manipulation of reality, often time to like write past wrongs and avoid dire consequences. Like, can't imagine why that's something that people are writing about right. and people are responding to. Also, don't forget Britney Spears. Right. Well, and this is another thing. You're you're seeing a lot of, of sort of in-depth explorations of like the dark side of celebrity, um, which I think are oftentimes ways to examine regular things that are happening in people's everyday lives, but you have the high amplitude of, you know, global celebrity that sort of drives them. Um, you know, there's also like there's a ton of stuff on the list this year that I would say sort of involves like hapless individuals involved in like spy missions, international intrigue, or American politics, right? Like there's a script about Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Right. Um, but there's a number of other scripts, like there's a Lee Atwater thing about him, you know, trying to make a deal with God when he gets brain cancer. Um, there's, um, you know, a, a sort of hapless action comedy set in the CIA about a Starbucks barista. Um, so you, you see all of these things in the society that end up getting mirrored in the things that people are writing about and that people are responding to, you know, visions of the far flung futures where advanced technology and space travel are the norm, uh, fallen superheroes trying to regain their former glory. Um, you know, the, the histories of outlaw families and criminal organizations where people are trying to break free of cycles of violence, like thematically, these are the things that we're also talking about in the news. And you see them mirrored creatively in the storytelling that writers are doing and that Hollywood executives are responding to. So we have kind of a mixed audience on this show. We have a lot of industry insider people. And we also have people that are not insiders that are just interested or are trying to make their way into the business. Um, I have gotten this question. I'm sure you get it all the time. How do I get my script on the blacklist? Step one would be to write an incredible script. Um, <laughs> and, and I say that partially in jest, but the reality is that I think, you know, a lot of times people are are more interested in getting to the end game without understanding just how difficult it is to do what writers do at the level that some of them do it. Um, you know, there are, I think I heard once that, you know, there, there are fewer people that get into the Writers Guild every year than there are that get drafted into the NFL. Right. Right. And I, and, I, and I heard, and this sounds, I'm skeptical of this number, but it might be true. There are more people inducted into the Navy SEALs every year than there are WGA members who have a, who get their first movie made, right? right? And we know how hard those people have to work to, to get to that level. And writers need to invest in their craft to, to execute at that level. So step one, write a great script. Number two, you're probably looking to find an agent or a manager. Um, yeah, there's lots of guys out there who claim, oh, I've had 5, 10, 15 writers on the blacklist signed with me. Is that yeah. real or is that bullshit? Well, it's because it's not because they have singularly have the ability to place a writer on the blacklist. It's because they are 
explicitly trying to find writers that are writing this kind of like amb- ambitious, emotional, off kilter things that tend right. to end That's up on the blacklist. Yeah. And then they do a very good job of advocating for their clients by making sure that as many people read it as possible and are enthusiastic fans of it, which is how you get a script on the blacklist. Because fundamentally, we're just surveying hundreds of Hollywood executives about their favorite unproduced screenplays. Even if an executive tells a, a rep, hey, yeah, I'm going to vote for your script. I got you. Don't worry. It's blind voting. They don't have to vote. And there's no way anybody's ever going to be able to follow up. Right. And from time to time, I'll get emails from agents and managers saying, I think, so, I think X number of people voted for this script. I think you made a mistake. And, you know, I'm more than willing to admit that I might make a mistake. So I diligently go back and double check and have to tell them that some number of people lied to them about voting for their <laughs> client's script, right? Yeah, you hear that. Oh, CAA is getting behind this script or yeah. whatever. But you know what? Like blind voting, you never know what those people are going to do. That's exactly it. But what does it mean to get behind it? It means you're out there advocating for the thing, which is how you get the visibility in a script that ends up on the blacklist. I think the biggest question and the biggest jump that people have is, okay, I have a great script. How do I get an agent or manager? Right. right. And that's really why we built the Blacklist website. And I don't want to overstate sort of the role that we play, but the fact of the matter is you can upload your script. There is a fee associated with it, but you get feedback in four days on average. If the feedback reflects not a full and close reading of the script, you can email us and we'll get into it. Um, But if the script is really strong, we will then give you free hosting on the website. We will tell everybody in Hollywood, hey, this is something you should pay attention to. And because we've done that effectively for so long, people tend to pay attention. Probably my favorite story from this year's annual blacklist is the John Madden biopic, which is a script written by a writer, Cam Brown Clark, who currently lives in Northwest Arkansas, <laughs> uh, wrote this script, uploaded it to the blacklist. It got a very high score. Todd Black, Academy Award nominated producer, reads the script, reaches out to him, options it, and they sell it to Amazon. Wow, that's a great story. He still lives in Northwest Arkansas, right? But again, this is a project at Amazon. And I think right. that... In a world where, you know, historically you had to move to LA and shake the right hands or have a dad who was in the same frat as somebody who worked at CAA right. to get your work out there, you know, with the internet, you, the focus should be having a great script. And when you do, we've built the infrastructure that allows A, to confirm that other people think it's a great script and to put it in the inboxes of people who can do something with it. And you don't even have to live in Los Angeles and you shouldn't have to because you shouldn't have to move to LA until you at least have some way to put your feet on the ground and like live a sustainable life. And in a world where we're all on Zoom meetings anyway, you might not even move to, uh, need to move to LA unless you're going to be in a writer's room. You might have to get on a plane from time to time to come out here, but to write something great and have people acquire it and then go make a movie based on it. It really isn't necessary and frankly shouldn't be necessary if the industry, if the industry is trying to maximize its access to talent. Uh, so you and I were emailing about this uh, chatbot GPT, the yeah. open AI tool that can write college-level essays, can converse, can think, basically. Why can't it write Hollywood screenplays? Or can it? And the Guild needs to do something about this. I, I think it probably can write a screenplay. I think the question is, is like, how good is that screenplay? Um, and I think that I have a deep and abiding belief that like the work of exceptional writers won't be able to be equaled by an AI. I think the AI will improve dramatically and the quality of scripts that it can write will improve dramatically. But I don't think we're yet or near a point where, you know, 
we're going to see a lot of AI, purely AI written scripts that are at the level of the best writing that exists in Hollywood. I do think, however, that ChatGPT and, and things like it uh, have the potential to radically transform our relationship with technology and work in a way that will dramatically affect writers, whether that's brainstorming and sort of an AI as a brainstorming partner, as a narrative organizational partner, like in terms of breaking story and keeping various narrative threads in line or exploring different uh, tributaries for those narrative uh, sort of rivers. Um, you know, I think it's not unlike the rise of the internet for research, you know. Right. Uh, a tool, not a replacement. Well, exactly. I, I, but I think that tool will change how people do business. Like, it's not difficult to imagine a scenario where a studio can have an AI whip up a two-page treatment that they then own, and then they seek out human writers to adapt it into longer form work. Whether or not that should happen, I think it's very obvious that it can and likely will. And again, I think my instinct here is, is that, you know, that will exert serious downward pressure on early career writers. Um, and the consequence of that is, you know, we may end up cannibalizing the very source of future talent that has the potential to make us money. So, I, again, I don't think there's a replacement issue, but I do think that the use of it as a tool, which is both inevitable and, you know, I don't know if it's a moral good yet. Um, and we need to be cognizant of it. And I think the Writers Guild would be wise to begin to be the to be the organization that is setting the guardrails around it to protect writing as a uh, art form to protect the people that do it and especially the people that are in the earliest stages of their career who may not be able to gain a foothold because of the way in which it transforms the labor market i'd love to see a taste test you put an ai script next to like something coming next month on netflix well i think we're gonna see various touring tests happen like that in the very near future you know i think there's gonna be attempts by tech companies to execute a, a largely AI-driven script, put a human name on it, put it in the Hollywood water supply and see how far they can take it before they do the reveal that it was AI written, right? You know, look, I also think that like, if you look at other case studies, when you combine human talent and AI support, you usually get a better result than human alone or technology alone. My favorite example of this is in chess, right? Deep blue, like computers can beat humans pretty consistently at chess. But if you give a bunch of humans a chess computer to support their thinking, the human plus the AI is usually going to beat a pure AI or a pure human. You also see that phenomenon happen, like in identifying financial fraud. Um, combine, and again, we're all using technology daily to support our work. I use Google dozens of times a day, if not more. We use email. We use all, these are tools that we use to enable and improve the quality and efficiency of our work. AI will likely be no different, but I think it has massive, massive transformational power that I don't even know that we can anticipate. And again, communities that are particularly under threat need to be the ones like setting the guardrails for how it's deployed, especially in this business. Fix those third act problems, basically, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, again, the human's going to have to decide how to fix them. Yeah, but, yeah, in brain, yeah, yeah. In, but brainstorming solutions for those third sure. problems, a very, very powerful tool. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Pleasure. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Craig, I'm in Vegas, as you know, for the CES. Yep. Not the best place to be with a mild cold. The uh, smoky casino 
probably made my voice worse than it should have been. Not good on the throat, cigarette smoke, I no, would imagine. Not not good. Um, all right. So have you watched the Renfield trailer that came out today? Yes, I have. This is a really interesting one from a business perspective because Universal has tried literally for decades to create something out of the old monster movies that it owns in its archives. So Universal, if you don't know, does not have superheroes. Warner Brothers and Disney own the big superhero brands. Sony has Spider-Man via its deal with Marvel. Um, Universal and Paramount are the two studios that do not have superheroes. So they have tried various ways to create universes, interlocking their movies. And Universal famously did this thing called the Dark Universe. You remember this? Yeah. Like six years ago where Tom Cruise was doing a mummy movie. And they did a photo with Russell Crowe and Johnny Depp and Javier Bardem and Sofia Botella, who played the mummy. And basically they said, okay, these are our superheroes and we're going to create a bunch of movies based on the monsters. And they got a little bit ahead of their skis there and mummy flopped, Dark Universe went away. So here we are six years later and Renfield is coming out in April. And this is that Universal going back to the drawing board and saying, listen, we're going to do this, but on a smaller scale, and we're going to try to alter this franchise so that maybe young people will care. So we're going to make it about Renfield, the henchman, the younger guy, Nicholas Holt. And then Dracula is going to be the supporting character, the awful boss played by Nick Cage. So you've seen the trailer. Does this appeal to you? Honestly, yes. And I think, you know, if comedy is going to be dead, Maybe comedy horror and dark comedy can still live. We've seen that. I mean, obviously, Wednesday was a huge hit. That's like a gothic dark comedy. What we do in the shadows is really popular. Kind of has a totally. similar vibe. Totally. Um, so this makes a lot of sense. I feel like this is kind of like the, the the trend of the moment right now is like this like gothic horror comedy. And it looks really good. I mean, it's directed by Chris McKay. The guy's done a lot of good stuff. He did the Tomorrow War. He did Lego Batman movie, Lego movie. Yeah. Uh, my So my prediction is that I think Renfield will work. And this was the smart way for Universal to approach these monster characters. And if it really works, we could see more of these monsters coming into sequels, spinoffs, etc. Um, they are very smartly not announcing that in advance because they want to see if this actually finds an audience. But I agree with you. I think R-rated horror comedy is a way to back into the comedy genre and create something that feels theatrical these days and might get an audience to a theater rather than a comedy starring Nick Holt. Something like Black Adam, when you see the trailer for Black Adam, eh, unless you really care about the Black Adam character, there, there wasn't a lot to bring you in. It looked like a traditional action movie. It didn't look Well, that's funny. why they had The Rock. I mean, The Rock is a big star. Nick right. Holt is not a big star. But He's Nick a Cage star. Is. People know Nick Cage. That's the thing. I think people will be interested to see Nick Cage's Dracula, especially since the movie is not about Dracula. There have been Dracula movies in the past. Yeah. There have been, you know, Universal did, you know, the Brendan Fraser mummy movies were a hit. They did some Van Helsing movies. It's not like they haven't had success with these properties. They just haven't been able to put them in a cohesive universe. I'm just happy they didn't make it super serious because the margin for error, I think, if they made a serious Dracula movie is much smaller. It's been done. I mean, it's been done. Coppola did it. I mean, there's not... There's not a lot to do there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think this is smart. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank Franklin Leonard for coming on. I want to thank producer Greg Orbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you next week. 